Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everybody. It's good to see uh, so many in, despite the weather forecast. We thought it was the end of the world, but... You know, thank God you were all here today, but it's not. It was, a, I think it passed over the storm without too much incident, so we thank God for that. I got caught in a hurricane once in Florida, and uh, I did see what a real storm looked like from the inside. It's nothing like what we saw today, uh, but very devastating. And I've had friends over the years that got caught in storms like that and lost everything, house and home. And, you know, so thank God we have a lovely country, amen. It's not too extreme bit like ourselves, I hope. Amen. Amen. Not too extreme. Tonight, I want to speak to you um, something that I was just toying in my own mind. I, I, I spoke with Catherine. Uh, this is Saturday. The thought started to brew in my mind. And uh, I began to think of the scripture when they talked about, you know, uh, Jesus. Let me turn. Matthew 4.33. Uh, it said, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the very early uh, start of Jesus' ministry. And I began to ask myself a question because, you know, sometimes we can write, read over these um, areas of the gospel and not fully kind of understand what is being either said or how it's been heard. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? What is it that Jesus preached that the people around him, heard, what did they hear? Because you can say something, but what, what were they hearing? Uh, what was he saying? What was he paralleling it to? Um, and sometimes, you know, if we don't kind of ask some questions as we journey in the Bible a little bit, we can kind of miss a lot of the nuances that help you to kind of construct a better understanding of the ancient world, of the Jewish thinking, of the world that Jesus came into, of the expectations of the people. And uh, so Jesus is now preaching the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, so, you know, I want to just look a little bit now. We're not going into a, a very deep dive on this, but maybe something that will end in blessing your heart, I'm hoping as well. But the entire kingdom, the understanding of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's actually spoken in the three synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, they appear, I think, 57 times. I might have that wrong. I think it's a bit low. Actually, 53 times in the Gospel of Matthew and in 42 locations. In the Gospel of Mark, 17 times the kingdom is mentioned in 13 different locations in the book of Mark. And 41 times in the book of Luke, in 29 different locations in the book of Luke, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is referred to. So here we are 2,000 years later. Uh, Western Gentiles for the most part. Uh, no understanding of the vernacular of the time. We know neither speak Hebrew or Greek. We're reading a book now in English which has been translated from Hebrew, Greek and Aramaic, uh, Pershta. And um, here we are, we're trying to patch together the, the thinking of that world, what Jesus was going into. And it's, these are good questions to ask when you read your Bible, by the way. If you, if you want to grow as a Christian, uh, if you want to kind of really grow beyond the sort of rudimentals of loving Christ, which is the ultimate, but obviously expanding that into a greater understanding, 
The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The more of an understanding of the scriptures you begin to, you begin to apprehend, the greater the liberty you have as a Christian. Can I say amen? I mean, you're not approaching the Bible with fear. That's the first thing. How many of you pick up your Bible and say, oh my gosh, it's so big. If it fell on my toe, it would break me. It would, I would, it would fracture my foot. I need to wear my steel toe caps reading the Bible. I've, I've never read anything but the Beano and the Dandy or little magazines growing up. And all of a sudden, you give me a Bible. You know, many of us didn't get beyond third year in school. Some of us never had, had basic education. And some of us just flunked everything. Am I speaking to anyone out there tonight? Amen. Welcome to the gang. That's what I can say. But you have an entire life to enjoy and romance and move forward in your faith. And tonight, maybe I just want to look at this a little bit. The kingdom. What did it mean? I, 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 you know, I'm trying to patch together, you know, the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ. You know, he starts off, you know, the first miracle is Cana. But before that, John baptizes him in the Jordan. And that commissions Jesus' ministry. Remember that when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You know, John is a relative of Jesus, a cousin, of course, but John is an anointed prophet, an Old Testament prophet, a man that's fitted to speak a certain job. He's a preacher of repentance. He's a tenacious man. He stands up to Herod and all the corruption that had come into the Herodian system and the corruption within the temple. And he basically knows that the plan of God is hatched in Christ. Uh, doesn't quite understand everything about Christ. Neither did his disciples, by the way. Neither did his mother. Neither did his biological brothers and sisters understand exactly the enormity of who Jesus was until after the resurrection, of course. Then everybody begins to patch some of his words together and get a more complete understanding of who it was that was in their midst. And John preaches a baptism of repentance. And people, are, you know, people feel the weight of sin. And, you know, at least there was an honesty within much of the population of, of that time that were coming to the, in their droves to John's baptism because they felt the weight of sin. And it's a, it's a healthy thing to feel the weight of sin. But it's a terrible thing to feel the weight of sin without a solution. Isn't it? You know, if all we do as Christians is preach about sin, 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 sin all the time, and, and that's all the message of, you know, how rotten and what a worm you are, and God sees all your thoughts, and God help every one of us, because yeah, that is true. And, you know, you're never really anything other than shoe high in the eyes of spirituality and you're perpetually weak, which is all true, by the way. You know, there's no, you know every one of us can identify. If that was the only message, um, then we, we would be in despair today. Humanity would obviously try to distract itself. Would you agree? If you are going to look in, if you're going to be a little bit philosophical tonight, those here tonight and those watching online... And you begin to try to determine the meaning of life. You know, uh, you'll end up without, with, with a Christless solution. That means without Christ, you will end up that it's all meaningless. Without God, it actually means nothing anyhow. It's just, it's only a matter of when you leave it all behind. And in a very short few years, nobody's going to remember your name. Not even your children or your great-grandchildren. There'll be a time when they're gone. Everything is gone. There's dust upon your, your hide. Uh, everything is finished. And it's all is meaningless. This is what the writer in the Ecclesiastics, Solomon, wrote because he was the wisest man that lived, the scripture said, and he had understood and wisdom from God. And he said, without him, everything is meaningless. It's folly, it's foolish, it's chasing after the wind. And honestly, you know, you might, when, you, when I used to hear that as a, preach, as a kid and, and preachers preaching this to me, I didn't quite really imbibe that. I, I, I thought maybe that's an oversimplistic view. You know, you know, I didn't quite understand the statement 
I was too young to distill it down for myself, but the longer I lived and more I began to understand what that meant, the more truth I saw in it. In actual fact, it became glaringly obvious as I grew older that this world is meaningless without God. And so the kingdom, and Jesus is speaking about the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I wonder how the Jews heard that. Because, you know, the Jews are the people of promise. The Jews are the, are the elected people of God. You know the story. I've told you many times over. Here we go again. God calls a man called Abraham in the midst of the human failure, the world falling into utter sin and darkness before that through, through Adam. And there's a world flood and there's a population that are wiped away. And there is a, a, a family or two that are rescued. And then from there, the, the rebirth of the world, human, the, the, uh, the human race is reborn again. And out of that, still, man hadn't learned his lesson. Sin is so devious, it's so deep, it goes right into the very core and fiber of the, the natural world and the natural man. And it corrupts everything it touches. And so Abraham is called out of Ur, the Chaldeans, and God speaks to him. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a, I'm going to give you a family. And out of that family, I'm going to make a nation. And out of that nation, I'm going to give you a homeland. And out of that homeland, there's going to be a seed that's going to really change everything. So that is the, that is the Bible story. That's always been the way the, the story that, and of course, in doing that, God elects to himself a people. And they are the Jewish people. They are the, the, out of the loins of Abraham. To them are the prophets, the Bible says. To them is given the revelation of God in, in no small, um, in no palsy amount, let me tell you. It's, they, 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 he, he has revealed himself to them, not just in whispers, but in massive demonstrations of his power. They are a people that had seen the most incredible uh, movements of the hand of God. They are a people that saw a fiery pillar protect them and a cloud protect them. They, saw, they are a people that saw the waters of a Red Sea parted. They saw that an army of, of Egyptians equipped militarily with chariots and horses and bow and rider and uh, spear chase after them and get lost uh, by the judgment of God. They saw miraculous provision for 40 years wandering in a wilderness, in a desert that has no natural water, yet God himself you know, provided through a rock that followed them. You know? This miraculous supply of water would have to be, of course. And yet, through all these demonstrations of power, and there's many, many more besides. Their, their hearts and their thinking became lower and duller all the way through. It shows you something about, the, about the, the wider society because the Jews are only a microcosm of what the rest of the world feels and thinks. So within Judaism, you have the very best and you have the very worst. You know, you do have the very best, but you do have the very worst. And you see that, of course, in much of their history. It's, it's quite, quite speckled with failure, with their kings, with many of their, no sooner had God done something mighty for them, they're back again under sensuous worship and behaving immorally, chasing after false gods, you know, and living away from the revelation of God. And that's the pattern of the Jew. But somewhere in the Jew, God, of course, gives the law of Moses. And, uh, you know, this, and, and you know, when you, when you read, actually, in Galatians at 3, we're going to talk, refer to that later on. It's a great chapter, Galatians chapter 3, because it is the chapter that talks about the seed, which we're going to talk about tonight as well. But in Galatians chapter 3, Paul does talk about the giving of the law. To say, and he said the law really was there as a, 
to safeguard you. It was basically there to try to preserve you because if you weren't given a code to live by, if you weren't given tram lines, you probably would have derailed the entire plan Israel. And really, that's what it was. That was one of the reasons why the, why the law was given, to preserve them so that they, they wouldn't fall into such darkness and perverse, perverseness that God would have to wipe them out or you know, that they would completely disqualify themselves to be used by the hand of God. And of course, the law was also given to show their imperfection and to show the perfection of God. So there was multiple things happening. God has tried to preserve this people, hook, land, and sinker, because his plan is prophesied to come through this people. And so the Jews uh, have their commandments, they have their distinct lifestyle, they're given a promise by God, they're given a promise of a greater revelation of a Messiah. Uh, and of course, they begin to corrupt that view of God. They begin to look lower. It was Brooks once said, one of the great Puritan writers, he said, he builds too low, he who builds beneath, he who builds beneath the sky. And so they started to take a lower view of the things of God. In time, the Jew was looking to be more happy with, you know, a sustained lifetime uh, of good harvests, uh, a rule of righteousness over them so that they wouldn't be overtaxed. They wouldn't be burdened by attack. They wouldn't, they would, their wives wouldn't be raped. Their children wouldn't be murdered. They would have crops in the field. They could drink their wine and enjoy the, the labor of their hands and get on with a nice life. And it's amazing how... You know, we may look at that and think, well, that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, you know, low, low thinking for a people of revelation. But really, that's how the world thinks too, isn't it? It's not how everybody thinks out there today. You know, I, I would be happier if I paid less taxes, if I had more freedom. We want more liberty. We, we want equality. We want, you know, we, we want good medical care. We, we want a benevolency rolling over us and, 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 and pampering what we need. And, and we think that's what brings about happiness. To, to most of the world today, that, that's, that's a good year's work. That's a good lifetime's work. But that comes to an end. Number one, it doesn't work because those who run it are corrupt. And even if it should work for a while, it comes to an end. Jesus said, what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And so the Jew began to look lower at all the revelations. Their understanding in time um, was that their Messiah was going to be a political type leader or a very genius type leader that would lead them into prosperity. They, they basically thought the kingdom was going to be a ruler that would rule over them and keep them safe from all oppressors and attackers, that they would regionally be unassailable. They would be the desire of all nations because of their prosperity. But they, you know, like most people today, they want blessings in their life, but they don't want to be changed. Because it's, it's not just a Jewish issue now, is it? We want rule of peace and happiness and equality for all. We want a level playing field that everyone has a, a bite at a cherry. We want to get rid of sicknesses and disease. And all those things are noble. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, friends. Nothing wrong with it. The problem is that it's just not enough. The problem is that it doesn't satisfy. The problem is that it's much lower. And so their understanding of the kingdom became, they began to raise their eyes from here slowly down to what we can see, smell, taste, touch, feel, and hear the natural senses. And so they interpreted all the promises of God and they interpreted through the lens of an earthly kingdom that there was going to be this Messiah that would be either a military leader and that he would have all this sort of solutions 
The world is still looking for that person today, let me tell you, and eventually they will get it. He will be called an antichrist. He will be a man that will sort out the riddles of social and economic problems in the world. He will have solutions and knowledges that he will apparently be a man of peace and a man of prosperity. But the Bible says that people will call for peace, peace, but sudden destruction also comes at the tail of this because the Bible, as Isaiah tells us, there is no peace until the Prince of Peace comes. And so the Jew in their thinking, when Jesus came preaching about the kingdom, he's beginning to stir something else in them. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And this began to provoke them. So are you saying you're the Messiah and straight away they're thinking a certain type of savior? You know, when I engage with people all the time, they, what they view as salvation and what God views as salvation are two very different things. It reminds me of a description when the Lord says, my ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts, for as high as far as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. And it's amazing how people think that if I can only find the right person, if I can only find the right partner, if I can only find the right job, if I can only get this award, if I can only get this educational thing, if I can only get up to this pay grade, if I can only buy that house, I'll be happy. If I could only have, you know, win the lottery, I, I would be absolutely the happiest man or woman on the earth. And so all the time, that's, in every one of us, we still battle, even us who are, of us who are truly in the kingdom, we can think in a very low manner of what the kingdom is. That's what the prosperity gospel is all about. The prosperity gospel has corrupted a true revelation of God and salvation and brought it down to physical things. Metric your salvation, metric and, 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 and measured your experience with God by your physical well-being. You know, and so, you know, this is, this is the very thing that the Jews were doing. So when Jesus comes to preach about the kingdom, he's got a little bit of work to do. He's got a lot of unraveling to do. He's, you know, so when you see in the life of Christ, he comes in a little bit in stealth. You know, the very, the very, very arrival of Christ was done undercover. Only a few knew about it and only a few were waiting for it. You know, he didn't announce himself at the start. If you, if you look at his miracles, he told some people, don't say anything about it. <laughs> Go off and give glory to God. Say nothing. You know, but they questioned him at one time, you know, is, is now the kingdom coming back to Israel? The Pharisees said to him, and he said to them, he says, if I, do, if I cast out demons and do miracles by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is among you. For the kingdom of God is not a law here, not a law there, but the kingdom is within you or among you. And so he's beginning to say something that the prophets were always talking about, that the, the area that God was most concerned with was to deal with the kingdom within. Amen. You, Karl Marx is the opposite to the gospel. When I mean that, Marxism was a philosophy and uh, a new type of religion, but they won't call it a religion. It was a political movement. It was an evolutionary view that man could change himself by changing his outward circumstances. And basically, the reason you, you are the way you are is because your daddy didn't hug you enough. Your mom didn't kiss you enough. You didn't have the same opportunities. You were underprivileged. You never had a car, you poor fellow. We're going to give you a ladder. 
you never had a house, you poor peasant. We're going to give you a two-bed apartment in Moscow. We're going to give you the right amount of food every week. You don't want, and everybody's going to get the same. The, the rocket scientist will have the same as you. He'll have the same car as you. He'll have the same education opportunity. He won't get paid a penny more. You know, we're going to level it all out, and we're going to fix you by fixing the outside of you. How, so how many people think that today, that if their circumstances would change, then I'll be happier, I'll be a different person? You know, they talk about homelessness, which is a horrible plight of not just our time, but every time. Where homelessness is, a, is mostly a direct result of mental illness, and people are, not, are now slowly beginning to see that, because you find some people that are so broken... So abused, they've abused themselves, others abuse them, but mentally and emotionally they're so broken and so wretched that eventually you find them a nice 250,000 euro apartment and you put them in there. And it's like giving the keys of your beautiful new car to your two-year-old because they have no capacities to learn how to upkeep it and keep control of it before you know it, it becomes another den just for drinking and partying and hanging out and not paying utilities because fixing the outside is not going to fix you on the inside. That's why Fee Cork is the greatest movement here in Ireland at the moment because not only are we helping people on the physical, we understand that the core issues on the inside. And that's why Jesus said the kingdom is not here or there. It's not building blocks. It's not getting your man in the White House. It's not getting your man in Jerusalem. It's not fixing all the structures around you. The issue is the kingdom must be fixed in you first. Amen. Something of the divine of God must come into you. Jesus, when he was brought before for Pilate, and Pilate says, is it true that you're the king of the Jews? And Jesus didn't say, no, I'm not. He didn't say anything. He, he, he basically said, well, if, if my kingdom was of this world, my, my disciples would have fought. But my kingdom is of another world. Amen. And I, I, just, I just love the, 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 the incredible... The incredible journey of, of, to this point in Scripture, where the Jews had passed through all their promises, eventually the promise of the seed, you go to Galatians 3 and 16, it just says that the seed, talking about Abraham, God said to Abraham, I will give this to your seed. And then in, in Galatians 3.16, it says, to the seed singular, not seeds as in many, but to the seed singular, and, and Speaking of Christ, according to the Apostle Paul, as we know, Abraham had eight sons, and the one was a child of promise, but that was not even the seed. The seed was going to be Christ. Hallelujah. There was a promise to him you know, that there would be a kingdom that he would bring, that there would, its reign would never, ever die. And so here we have the kingdom. Jesus said, it's neither low here nor low there, but the kingdom is among you. Let me read to you tonight something that I, I, that I want to leave you as a thought. So, so the kingdom... How did you hear it? They hear a rising up of a structure, a political structure. You know, and when people hear you and me preach, may they never hear that. Our kingdom is not storming Capitol Hill. Do we hear an amen? Our kingdom is not bombing Catholics or Protestants because we have tried to force our moral values on them. Our kingdom is not putting a gun to someone's head because they disagree or beating them up because we don't agree with their lifestyle. Our kingdom is a kingdom of love, amen. Our kingdom is a kingdom of a changed life. Our kingdom is the compassions of Christ flowing through us to a broken world. Amen. That kingdom becomes uh, enacted in our hearts when we come to Christ in faith. And so I want to bring you this scripture, Luke chapter 
Luke chapter 13, and this is what Jesus said. Now, as I said, there's, there's well over 100 statements concerning the kingdom, but I want us to look at this one tonight. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Again, he said, to what shall I like in the kingdom of God? It's like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leveled. This is interesting. Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed. In the last week of Jesus' life as he walks to the temple every day from Bethany, that four or five kilometer walk, it's there and back, and we know the story. He sees an olive tree, a fig tree, and there's no figs on it, the scripture says. And he curses the fig tree, and it is cursed from the roots right up. From the roots right up, it's completely dried up. It's, it's, it's dead completely. And the next day, his disciples, when he's going again, they notice that, Master, the fig tree which you cursed has dried from the roots up. And he said, you know, if you fate the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the depths of the sea. And of course, we know geographically the only mountain that he's looking, staring straight across is the Temple Mount. He's saying that by faith in him, you can relegate the entire system of condemnation and religion into the depths of the sea. He's not talking like bizarre Pentecostals thinking that they can move mountains into seas. That is not what Jesus is saying. That is a dopey unintellectual, non-contextual use of the scripture for nowhere in the Bible has anyone but God himself put a mountain into the sea. Amen. And he doesn't give you that proof. Let me tell you that. He's telling them, if you have, so someone asked me how big, how much faith do I need to be a Christian? Only the size of a mustard seed, which the scripture said is the smallest seed of all. It's tiny. You know, the smallest amount of faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? The weakest one. You might be watching, you might be saying, I'm so weak, I don't even have enough faith to raise my eyes up to heaven. But I want to encourage you, that mustard seed of faith, once you let it get planted into your heart, it grows into a tree. It goes into an influence where others around can take shade and shelter and help that your miserable now life can be transformed by a measure of faith that God himself would do within you. God would do something in you. See, the Bible says we have the treasure in the earthen vessel. Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's in the field. Amen. But that treasure comes into us when we put our faith in him. The kingdom of heaven, when we come to Christ, he starts to form something within us. And it's interesting, he goes on and he says, the kingdom is also likened to a woman who took and hid three measures of meal. That was very interesting. There's a lot of discussion, and I got bogged down. I got so bogged down reading this one today and, 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 and checking so many cross-references on this that I, I, my wife knows I panicked because I had, I had this to show for a whole morning, which is now I'm nearly finished. And you're probably saying, amen, thank you, Pastor. I finished up in this, go home. We're nearly there. But it, there was a lot of discussion about this because people, some Christian commentators say, well, leaven is, is, is a picture of sin. 
you know, you know, and uh, you know, and the Jewish uh, coming up to Passover, the Jews were told in the Levitical laws that they, they had to remove all leaven out of the house for seven days prior to Passover. So when this feast came on for the Jews, the Jews, the Jews would have to sweep the house clean. Nothing, with le no leaven could be in the house, and nothing with no products that contained leaven, which is also wine, because there's a level of fermentation inside in that. Any products with leaven in it had to also be put out of sight. And so this was the instruction to the Jews. Now, it's very interesting because, you know, a lot of commenters saying that, that Jesus is actually teaching a, a, a very enormous truth here, but there's a little satire in it. There's a little bit of a dig going on, because apparently culturally, as this was the law and this was the rule and you had to put it out you couldn't see it um what are you going to do the next day after passover how are you going to feed your family where are you going to find leaven are you going to go out then and try to buy it off the gentiles who are going to conflate the price you know so and all so apparently there was a few a bit of skullduggery that everyone kind of laughed at behind the scenes now again this is a little bit of conjecture it just does come from some good commentators that have recited, uh, resourced some of the past actions and behavior. Apparently, the Jewish rabbis would instruct the woman of the house to, to just make sure that the house is well marshaled without leaven, coming up to the Passover time, uh, that they would hide 10 little portions of leaven. And the husband would have to inspect the house and find 10 locations. So he would deem it that, because he's going to look everywhere. He might find 12, he might find 14. Because maybe she's going to, you know, because she knows, okay, all right, we, we're going to have to keep the Passover here. But I have, I, have, I have eight kids to feed the very next day after that. And where am I going to get leaven to make bread? And I can't afford to buy it. So apparently, some of the women of the time would hide a little bit of leaven in the house. And they would, the best place to hide leaven is in, in plain sight. They would hide it right in with the flour. The last place that the husband would think of looking for it. So yeah, I want you to follow this just a little bit because I'm trying to catch up with the storyline myself from resourcing it today. So in the Jewish practice, this, this was kind of known. This was kind of sniggered at behind the scenes that maybe this was going on on some level. The husband would come in, oh, found a bit here, found a bit there, oh, under the pillow, under the bed, and, and the ritual would go ahead. And this was a good way of safeguarding that they were kosher when it came to Passover. But the wife, who's just a little bit sort of like, I'm with it, but I'm not with it, hid it in plain sight, sometimes in the flour when she stored the flour. And of course, what would happen? The minute leaven or yeast goes in there, it starts to do its work. She hid it, but it starts to level it, and all of a sudden it starts to ferment, and it starts to swell, and behold, your sin finds you out. After a while, you know, day one, nobody sees it. Day two, now it's a seven-day feast. By the day six, going, he's going, did the pot after, is our pot after cracking? You know, a flower pot's after cracking there. What's after happening? And then he looks in, and he sees it, and your sin finds you out. But Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being like leaven put into three measures of flour. So the three measures of flour would have been roughly about 50 pounds of flour in three jars. And he's speaking in earshot of the Pharisees and speaking to his disciples and instructing others. The kingdom of God is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. And I think about that woman being like the type of church 
I think that I think of it being like us. That when the and Jesus said the kingdom is within you. But just as sin works its way through humanity and destroyed and broke its friends, there is a leaven, like there is a stream that makes glad. Hallelujah. The city of God. There is that there is that work of the kingdom that's done being done within you. You know, and it's interesting that it's three. What is a threefold work? There's many threefold works that take place in a man and woman's life. Of course, there's faith, hope, and love. And when the kingdom of God comes into you, it's not passive. I've hidden thy word in my heart that I may not sin against you. There is that it, when Christ comes in, something of the divine begins to happen. It affects every area of your life. Just like when that little leaven or that little bit of yeast goes into the flour, it, it leavens the whole lump. It's not passive, it's acting, it's creating, it's doing something. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's enlarging. And I thank God when the kingdom comes, when Christ's kingdom truly comes into the life of a man or a woman, it affects us in multiple ways, but it does affect us in faith. Can you say amen? When the kingdom of God comes in, my faith begins to grow. That's the first thing you know when Jesus said it in John chapter 3. First of all, you can never enter the unless you're born again, you can never enter the kingdom. That's another time the kingdom is used. Unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom. Sure. So when we're born again, what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to invade us. That, that very yeast of God, not for ill, but for good. Not for sin, but for righteousness. Amen. And how he becomes into that three areas of our life. He develops faith in us. Faith for the future, amen. Faith for our body. Hope for the future. Hope for our soul. And love for our spirit. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he becomes a new creature. All things pass away and all things start to become new. See, this is what Jesus is saying. The reality is that this world, heaven and earth will pass away, but the power of my word working in your life will never pass away. What God sets free is free indeed. When the leaven of heaven comes into you, when the Holy Spirit comes into you and brings the kingdom inside of you, it's not outward change, it's inward change. That's the very core, the only way for us to see society, our lives, our nation, the world change, is to see that Holy Spirit coming into the earthen vessel. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is the king coming in. I tell you, friends, just like that Jewish woman may have hid her sinful leaven in plain sight, so God, so this is what Jesus is saying to the disciples. She may have hid her sin in plain sight, but my kingdom has also been hidden in plain sight. Hallelujah. Now you are being hidden in plain sight. He has hidden his word in you. He's put his Holy Spirit in you. He is beginning to affect your faith, your hope, your love, your joy, your peace. Amen. He's beginning to affect your body, the three vessels, your soul and your spirit. It's amazing. The life of God has come. You know, we look and we see all over the kingdom starting within. Of course, there's going to come a, a, an announcement of the King of Kings when he brings time to an end. And life as we see it on planet Earth will come to an end. That's an eschatological view that people have different views on. But for one thing, we all agree on Jesus will come back 
as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He will come back to Israel. He will come back to the Mount of Olives. He will be the King of kings. He will bring time to an end, amen. But the kingdom is already hidden in plain view. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful today? Right across our world, the kingdom of God is hidden in plain view. Oh, I can imagine, as Jesus told that little bit, they are all looking and says, he's having a bit of a go off you. He's having a bit of a go off you, disciples. He's having a bit of a snigger at the legalism that you put onto the people. People will always find a way around it, a trick or two to hide their leaven. But my kingdom is also like a leaven that goes into three areas. Your body, your soul, and your spirit. And every Christian... Every man or woman that has been born again of the Holy Spirit of God, we all converge in the same story. He came into my heart. He changed my life. He gave me a renewed spirit. Now my spirit can truly worship God because I can communicate with him. Now I feel complete. My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. My body aches for his presence. Amen. My body more groans for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Why do Christians give up of their time? Why do Christians give up of their money? Why do Christians persevere in their faith in a world that hates them? Why? Because the life of God has come. It has overpowered us with his love. Amen. It has filled us from the innermost being. And out of that, friends, Jesus said, will flow out of you and me rivers of living water. Don't ever lower the kingdom down to the prosperity gospels of this world and lowering it down to, you know, a man's life does not, Jesus said, does not consist of the abundance of which he had. That is lower thinking. I want to tell you, friends, you may have nothing. You might have not a dime in your pocket. You might own nothing in this world, but you could be the richest man or woman that ever walked the face of this planet because the kingdom and the king lives inside me. Hallelujah. You could you can be facing really, really difficult situations. And I don't want to belittle the trauma for people who do. But I want to tell you, there's a grace in you that is sufficient for you. I said, there's a grace in you. There's a kingdom in you. There's a king in you. There's a treasure in the earthen vessel. The kingdom of God is that treasure. It's already in you. And now you can say with confidence, I am until he says I'm not. Hallelujah. He holds all my days in his hands. He has numbered the hairs of my head. He has set my feet upon a course. He is my lamp. He is my light. He is my deliverer. He is my savior. He is my rock. Hallelujah. He is my peace. Hallelujah. He is my love. He is my joy. That is the kingdom of God, friends. That is what we celebrate when we come in on a Wednesday night, sometime after getting roared at from some crazy boss or someone doing something really nasty to us or having the worst day of our life. It doesn't matter. That's not our kingdom. Our kingdom is within and it shines up to our heavenly father and it sings songs of deliverance and it sings songs of worship. Why you downcast all my soul? Put your trust in God for I will yet praise him. Hallelujah, that's the kingdom singing. And that's why when the day comes, and it will come, and they take you and me or others maybe in the future, and they put you in prison for your belief and for your faith, that you can be like Paul and Silas in the Philippi jail, caught in the stocks after being beaten, unjustly treated, and yet praising God at the midnight hour. Because I want to tell you, friends, you have an indomitable spirit 
You have an endowment of the kingdom. Nobody else can take it from you. Nobody else can come in and conquer you. It doesn't matter what this world and its systems does to you. The kingdom of God is within you, whether you sit in a palace or a dungeon, whether you're up or down, friends, it doesn't make a difference. You belong to the king. He lives inside you. And that's what we celebrate about the kingdom. One day, the kingdom will be visible. One day, the fulfillment of all prophecies will come into being. But between now and then, it's only unveiling the reality as it stands. Because right now, friends, you're more ho- you're no more ho- you will be no more holier to God then than you are now. No more loved to God then than you are now. No more accepted in the beloved than you are now. Amen. But you will see him as he is. And what a day that will be for you and me. When we say goodbye to the shell, when we say goodbye to the temporary, when we walk through the, ga- the gates of death, and we will have a confidence that the world knows not of. Why? Because we have a kingdom that neither rust, nor moth, nor taxman can take away. Can you say amen? amen? Let's stand together in the presence of the Lord for a final prayer. And I hope tonight in this simple teaching that you will be able to say in your heart, the king lives in here. That thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That you can say with a righteous soul, he is the king of my life. And if you can say that tonight, then regardless of the failures of others of your, or of yourself, you can raise a hallelujah. You can manage to raise even a limp hand before the Lord and go, oh God, my strength is little, but my heart is still full. My mind is under attack, Lord, but my heart is yours. And I know you are mine. And I tell you today, friend, hell has no claim on you. The powers of darkness have no claim on you. The life of God has come. But there may be one person watching. There might be one person online. I don't know your circumstances, and I may never know how deep and how dark and how serious life is to you. But I know a solution. It's that the kingdom of God flood into your spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus said. The first thing, repent. Repent means turning away from all your own plans and all your religion and all your mom and dad's ideas and other people's ideas and your ideas. Turn away, that's repentance, from your sin, from your failure, from your wrong thinking and turn to Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of faith and he will fill those three areas of your life, many more, your body, your soul and your spirit with faith, hope and love. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray. Come on, let's pray. There's someone here tonight. There's someone watching tonight, and it's your night. It's your moment. It could be day where you are watching. I don't know part of the world you're in, but we here at Cork Church are all going to pray for you. There's men and women of real faith here. They've to come in in a storm tonight and the congregation like this. That means there's faith in this house. I know you all, and you're just faith in you regardless. But we're going to pray for that one that might be here. And we're going to pray for that one that might be watching tonight that this incredible kingdom of God will be their kingdom. Would you pray? Would you bow your head? Would you intercede? Close your eyes, everybody, tonight. If there's one here tonight, you've never entered the kingdom. Now, don't be getting resaved again. If you've given your life to Christ, you need to hold on to that regardless of your failure, and God will help you work you through. You don't need to put your hand up. But if you've never truly given your life to Christ, you know, and you know you didn't, I'm going to give it the opportunity. I think nearly everybody here possibly has. But if there's one, nobody's looking but me. Nobody's going to shame you, and I won't certainly do that. Put your hand up tonight, and we're going to, I'm going to pray from here for you. It just happens if there's one. But there's probably somebody online. And you watching online tonight, Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart. That is a broken heart. 
And if you open the door, I will come in. I will bring my kingdom. And I will fill those voids in your life. And I will cause in your life a rising and an enlarging in all those areas. I will enlarge your faith just like yeast does to flour. I will enlarge your faith. I will enlarge your love. I will enlarge your hope. I will touch your body. I will heal your soul. And I will renew your spirit. And that is when true happiness. And if that's you tonight watching online, I want to pray for you. We're going to pray right now that you would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, let your kingdom come within me. I give you my life. I'm so fed up of trying to do it my own way. And thank God he didn't give in and let you have it your own way because it would have led you to a false belief system. Thank God you failed because now this is the only hope because it really is the only hope. Pray with me, Heavenly Father. I pray that the kingdom of Jesus Christ will reign in my heart today. Lord Jesus, I open my life to you. I give you all that I have, all of the sin, all of the good, all of the bad. Lord, I'm desperately ashamed of what I've become. But I thank you, Lord, that you have not come in to condemn this world. But Lord, I pray, Lord, I don't feel condemned. I feel accepted. And I come to you, Lord, knowing that you're, you're kind and you're good and you're merciful, asking for forgiveness asking for salvation and asking, Lord, just like that woman, that your leaven will come into the pots of my life and begin to enlarge in me in all these areas that I'm completely dead. Bring life to me, Lord. True life to me. In Jesus' precious name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Bless the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Before we leave tonight, I don't need to remind you it's a great gospel. You tell me, and I've studied a lot of world religion, you tell me, Buddha, Muhammad, and Krishna are all dead. But Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And when the leaven of Jesus comes into you, like it does to the flour and the dough, do you know what it does? It enlarges you. It softens you. And it expands you. And according to theologians that study this passage, this woman that leavened these three pots, which is like one person, body, soul, and spirit, the ability from that leavening and turning into a bread had enough ability to feed a hundred people. God will turn your single life into a life that will touch hundreds of people. He will multiply what you are. He will bring himself to reputation through you. And that just like that seed of the mustard seed that planted the birds of the air, God will do that with you. People will find rest with you. People will find shade with you. People will find comfort with you. Why? Because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And then you will have an ability to feed beyond just yourself. You know, I think about Jesus saying the kingdom of God is like man without the sow seed. And he said, some seed produced 30, some produced 60, and some produced 100. Oh, I want to be that leaven that produces enough food for 100 people. That my life will be a life that will feed hundreds of people. And that's what the gospel can do with you. Take you away from greedy, make you into selflessness and compassionate. And everything the opposite of greedy. 
giving and kind, generous. That's what the gospel does. And you Christians that it might be a little bit slower, God is working in you. Just say, oh God, those departments haven't swollen yet for me, but I pray tonight that those areas in my life will begin to burst through that pot and that my life will be able to feed many in Jesus' precious name. What a gospel we have. What a savior we serve. Now go and make him known and love him with all your heart. God bless you. Good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.